Welcome to the Christian Classical Corner with Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church and the Good Shepherd School Project, where we discuss Christian classical education as a way forward for educating God's children. Greetings, friends in Christ. My name is Margaret Douglas, and I'm the headmistress of the Good Shepherd School Project at Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church. Let's talk some classical education. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. The Collect for the Feast of St. Luke Almighty God, you called your servant Luke to be an evangelist and physician of the soul. Grant that, by the wholesome medicine of the doctrine he taught, all the diseases of our souls may be healed. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Great to be with you again today to talk to you about Christian classical education and how we can use it as a discipling tool for our children and youth, building them up in the ways of the Lord, standing firm in faith against the ways of the world. And the prayer that I began with today is a collect or collected prayer of the congregation for the Feast of St. Luke, whose feast day the Universal Church celebrated this past Monday. And of course, we celebrated that at the Good Shepherd School on Monday because we celebrate the examples given to us by the Holy Spirit and all the saints. And that prayer, of course, can be found in the Anglican Book of Common Prayer 2019. And that prayer book is available to you online in PDF form if you'd like to use it as a tool for your own personal devotion. Check it out at bcp2019.anglicanchurch.net. That's bcp2019.anglicanchurch dot net. You know, it seemed awfully appropriate to me that the Feast of St. Luke was this past week because the idea of soul sickness keeps being thrown at me by the Holy Spirit. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but when stuff keeps just coming at me again and again and again, and it's in accordance with the Holy Scriptures, I have to say to myself, hmm, I think the Lord is trying to tell me something here. And I know that I need to explore it more and wrap my head around it because there's a word in there for me. So today, friends, I'm going to do just that, and I'm going to take you all along for the ride. Let's examine this idea of soul sickness how the great physician himself is the answer, and how we can use the tools of education, particularly Christian classical education, to help us in both prevention and in treatment. Now, I'm not going to tell you all the places that soul sickness has been coming at me as something that I need to wrestle with. Some of that has to do with some very confidential matters. But friends in Christ, right now, will you take just a moment to pray for those who are soul sick? I'm going to pray using two prayers from our prayer book. Would you play, pray along with me for anyone you know who is going through soul sickness right now? Just take a moment and ask God to be with them and to heal them. A prayer for those afflicted with mental suffering. Almighty God, whose Son took upon himself the afflictions of your people, regard with your tender compassion those suffering from anxiety, depression, mental illness, or any kind of soul sickness, especially those whom we name in our hearts right now. Bear their sorrows and their cares, 
supply all their needs. Help them to put their whole trust and confidence in you and restore them to strength of mind and cheerfulness of spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And for those in bondage to addiction, any kind of addiction. O blessed Lord, you ministered to all who came to you. Look with compassion upon those who through addiction have lost their health and freedom. Restore to them the assurance of your unfailing mercy. Remove from them the fears that beset them. Strengthen them in the work of their recovery and to those who minister to them. Give patient understanding and persevering love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters. It's good to pray together. Thank you for doing that with me. Now, as I said, I keep finding this issue of soul sickness cropping up. And believe it or not, I keep finding it even in places like the ancients who didn't even know the Lord. I've been reading Plato and Socrates, and even those who didn't know the Lord could understand that the soul, that place where mankind is in tune with the divine and is the truest part of man's nature, the soul could be diseased, corrupted, even damaged by vice. That is non-virtuous living. Remember the word vicious. It's a derivative of the word vice. Vice is vicious to our souls. So we want to avoid our souls being taken in by vice. How do we do that? Well, before we go there, we should contemplate how our souls might get taken in by vice in the first place. We were all taught right from wrong, weren't we? I mean, we were taught the Ten Commandments. We were taught to share. We were even taught manners. And yet, those vicious ways of the world still creep in and still weaken our souls. How is that? Well, you know, it's interesting because one of the goals that we have in classical education is to teach children to love the true, the good, and the beautiful, and to hate the things that are not those. The world, on the other hand, teaches us to love what is cool, self-serving, and in, and often to hate the true, the good, and the beautiful. And we know that the ways of the world are absolutely not going to take us in the right direction. But we wind up going there anyway. We have those moments like St. Paul had in Romans 7.15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Yeah, even the saints did that. Why is that? Why do we do that? The answer, I think has to do with how our hearts are captured at a very young age. This came to me the other day. As I was walking my dog, I found myself waving at the police officer who was driving by. You know why I do that? Because as a small child, I was always told, wave at the police officer. I was taught that the police officer was my friend and that I should give my civilian salute to him or to her in a wave. Now, other children in other contexts, they might not have the same kind of growing up and they might have had different emotions that come about when they see a police officer. But for both of us, it is an emotional response. We had sown in us emotional reactions 
based on what the important adults in our lives felt was important at the time. We were trained by habit to react to a police officer the way we did to the point that nearly 50 years later, I still automatically do it. What does Proverbs 4.23 say? Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Do we even know what is flowing from our hearts? I sometimes wonder. Dr. James K.A. Smith talks about this in his book, You Are What You Love. And before you ask, Dr. Smith is a modern writer. He's not from the 1940s. (laughs) Regular listeners here at the Christian Classical Corner know that I talk a lot about the writers of the 1940s. Well, they had some really profound insights about what was happening in our culture. But we don't only discuss writers from the 40s though sometimes it might feel like we do. So Smith, a modern writer, in the book, You Are What You Love, in the chapter, You Might Not Love What You Think, talks about a Russian movie called The Stalker, in which two characters are brought to a room that will give them their deepest, darkest desire. The characters were distressed. What if they didn't truly desire what they thought they desired? Did they still dare to go into the room? The prospect might be quite daunting. Smith discusses this phenomenon from a Christian perspective. He writes, Many of us can identify. If I ask you, a Christian, to tell me what you really want, what you most deeply long for, what you ultimately love, well, of course you know the right answer. You know what you ought to say. And what you state could be entirely genuine and authentic, a true expression of your intellectual conviction. But would you want to step into the room? Are you confident that what you think you love aligns with your innermost longings? He then discusses how our habits, the actions of our daily life, shape those loves. This is because our action, our doing, bubbles up from our loves, which, as we've observed, are habits we've acquired through the practices we're immersed in. That means the formation of my loves and desires can be happening under the hood of consciousness. I might be learning to love a telos that I'm not even aware of and that nonetheless governs my life in unconscious ways. Now, we've talked about the concept of telos before, right? That's a Greek word that means the whole purpose of something, the measure by which we should compare and say, that is a good something because it achieved purpose. Now, glass that did not hold water and did not allow you to drink would not be deemed to be a good glass. It has not achieved telos. A racehorse that came in dead last every race would not be a good racehorse. But he may make an awesome riding horse for children. That's a different telos, a different purpose, a different end in mind. See how that works? Now the question for us becomes, what is the telos of a human being? Well, obviously we've got to take a look at some scriptures, shall we? First, we know that God is the creator, so he's the one in charge. As it says in Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And we know that 
it's God's purposes that we've got to deal with, not our own. As Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And one of my very favorite verses, again, inculcated from my childhood, Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. God created us to be in a relationship with Him, to be in a covenant with Him. That's our telos. That's our purpose. That's our end. But brothers and sisters, you're not going to find that in modernity. Modernity, in its being the very waters in which we swim, is forming us with very different habits. Modernity teaches us to get ahead not to self-sacrifice. Modernity habituates us to the world's applause instead of the quiet voice of God. We are habituated into idolatry and selfishness and our everyday lives often unknowingly reflect it. These are the habits that were formed in most of us whether we realized it or not and we don't get out of those habits very easily. And just understanding the problem doesn't necessarily help us at all. Smith describes the problem we have in combating this, in part anyway, as this picture of human beings as brains on sticks. What we think is the most important thing. Everything, ever since Descartes said, I think, therefore I am, we've taken that to heart and believe that we are what we believe ourselves to be. We totally miss what's happening under the hood, or deep in our hearts. The rituals and liturgies of everyday living have taken over our habits and expectations. Before we know what was happening, we find that we love what modernity promises. Riches, power, the esteem of others. That's no way to be Christ-like, brothers and sisters. Because if you look at the cross... That's exactly what our Lord gave up for us. If we're to take up our cross and follow Him, we need an entirely different playbook. First, we have to examine the liturgies that we're being subjected to by, moder- by the modern times, these modernity, and discover the ways that we and our children are being habituated into ungodly patterns. We're not necessarily going to recognize them right away, either. We're too close to them. Smith quotes a story from a commencement speech at Kenyon College. There are these two young fish swimming along. They happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and says, What the heck is water? Yeah, we're too close to the problem and we don't even realize what we're swimming in. And for most of us, this is because we were brought up in modern public schools. We were taught from a young age that our thoughts were more important than our actions. We were given promises of good jobs, success, possibly even fame, as the harbingers of our success in the world, and we were taught to crave them. We have been pushed into patterns of selfishness over self-giving practically from the cradle. 
And since it was the hand that rocked the cradle that was doing the pushing, we never noticed. Thus, brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in a world where vice is often more valued than virtue. We find ourselves in a world where the Ten Commandments are, at best, treated like the Ten Suggestions. We find ourselves in a world where God is ignored and neighbor is treated like competition, or worse, enemy. And lots of times, our hearts are so captured by the idolatry of self that we don't even notice what we're doing, because that's the way the world has conditioned us. There's an old meme, before memes were even really a thing, so you know it's old. We were created to use things and love people. We now love things and use people. The world has conditioned us to be soul sick. And the world's done that before, hasn't it? I mean, if you read history, and we do read a lot of history in classical education, you know that the world, the flesh, and the devil have been in opposition to their creator since the fall. What was it that Paul said in Romans 1? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, we know from history that getting soul sick happens. And we know that Jesus is the answer. The great physician, who, as the prophet Isaiah wrote, by his own stripes, we are healed. But we have to love him. And we can't just nod our heads and say, oh yes, we love Jesus, and then go about following the world's ways and desiring the world's rewards. Smith makes this point when later in his book, he relates an episode where he and his wife were researching a change of diet for their health. Smith says he was reading all sorts of things and was beginning to carry books around with him, clearly pre-Kindle, because he was so engrossed in the study of it. And he was head captured by it. But lo and behold, one day, he found himself reading at lunch, nodding along vigorously with what was written, only to suddenly notice that he was reading all about this good nutrition while sitting eating junk at a Costco food court. His head might have been captured, but his heart still had a ways to go. Smith realized there and then that he was going to have to do some serious habit reshaping. This, dear friends, is what Christian education should be about. It needs to not just be teaching some nice things about God and Jesus to go along with the world's message. It needs to reshape the message into God's message. So, 
how do we do that? Well, first, and we've talked about this on this program before, we immerse our children in the Word. We need to be in the Word of God ourselves, and we need to get our children in the Word of God. But I'm going to go one step further and say that we need to shape our time and our ways around the Word of God. See, brothers and sisters, if we run Christian schools with just a few Bible verses added into the mix, our children still swim in the world's waters, oblivious to what those waters are. They're reading about nutrition while eating junk, just like Smith was. We need to provide experiences for them that are truly counterformational, showing them how time and truth are God's and that we order ours to Him. Now, that means rehabituating ourselves to the rhythms of God instead of the rhythms of man. Regular daily worship helps in this, but so too does learning the history of the church, reading the stories of the saints who have gone before us, so that we see how working in God's rhythms has played out in different times and different cultures. We'll talk some more about that next week. But I want to emphasize how important it is to show ourselves submitting to the rhythms of God that are countercultural to the rhythms that we experience in the world. Our children need to be habituated to ways of God daily, not just once a week Bible stories or chapel sessions. This is one of the reasons that classical education focuses so much on history. Seeing how God moves through history is one way to understand, to the best of our ability anyway, his eternal rhythms. And this helps capture our hearts because after all, our hearts and minds and souls, they were made for worshiping him. So when we emphasize his glorious ways in everything we learn, we draw nearer to him. And this serves the double purpose of not only moral formation, but true intellectual formation because we see time and knowledge as interconnected and we learn how to use it from there. Less diseased soul, more formed up mind. Brothers and sisters, that is a win-win situation. And this is how we train up children who know and love God truly, not just nod to him on Sundays while they're at church and then go and do the world's bidding for the rest of the week. We use a Christ-centered, classically constructed curriculum to rehabituate their hearts and minds to the love and knowledge of God. We reform their hearts for their creator not by engaging their heads only, but by restructuring life around God and His Word instead of the world. And this, brothers and sisters, is what Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church is doing through the Good Shepherd School Project. We're working on building a full-time classical school, but we're not waiting until everything's been perfectly aligned. We know God is calling us to start now with the resources we have in order to serve Him and His children. So we're starting it as a homeschool co-op and partnership assistance program, one that anyone can join. And that homeschool partnership program is designed to bring students who might not have been homeschooled before into a Christian classically structured program so that they can get out of the waters of modernity being served up by the public schools and learn new habits and ways that will bring them closer to God. Know someone who would love to get their children out of the public schools and educate classically, but who must work or who has other barriers? We can help. Know of homeschoolers here in the Valley who are looking for some more depth to their program? We can help. Check us out at goodshepherdhenderson.info. 
Our registration for All Saints term has already begun. All Saints term will begin on November 1st, and that form is live on our website, so please check it out and pass it on. GoodShepherdHenderson.info, G-O-O-D-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D-H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N dot I-N-F-O. And if you'd like to know more about our church or support our work, find us at VegasAnglican.org. Our services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And this week on October 24th at the 11 o'clock service, our students will be helping to lead the service and will be ministering to us in music with the choir pieces that they've been working on. We'd love to have you join us. Find out more at VegasAnglican.org. That's V-E-G-A-S. A-N-G-L-I-C-A-N dot O-R-G. And I thank you for your continued prayers for us through Michaelmas term. Michaelmas, by the way, means the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels. That occurs in September, and that's the traditional first autumn term of a Christian school. November 1st is All Saints, which is why we are coming up on our All Saints term. And we thank you for your continued prayers. We thank you for listening to us. And we hope that you'll join us next week right here on KKVV. May the Lord bless and keep you. Have a great week. And God bless you, brothers and sisters. Thanks so much for joining us at the Christian Classical Corner. It's been a pleasure, and we hope that it's been a blessing for you. Want to learn more? Find out more about our school project at goodshepherdhenderson.info and more about our church, where you can support our ministry at vegasanglican.org. Thank you so much. Be blessed. And we'll see you next week, Friday, 8.30 a.m., for more talk on Christian Classical Education.